This edition of KISU's First Monday Forum, a program which highlights the groups, activities, students, and faculty of Idaho State University, is brought to you with the support of the ISU Credit Union with branches in Pocatello, Blackfoot, and Idaho Falls. The ISU Credit Union, solutions spanning a lifetime. Now, here's your host, Jerry Miller. Good evening and welcome to First Monday Forum. Tonight, a very interesting topic. Recent research conducted by Harvard, the Imperial College of London, and the World Health Organization indicates that there is a, I guess you'd call it a tsunami of obesity spreading across the world, and more than half a billion men and women, nearly one in nine of all adults, are obese. The WHO findings reveal that being too fat results in 3 million premature deaths each year from heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and other disorders. Earlier this year, First Lady Michelle Obama presented her ambitious Let's Move campaign in response to what some call a truly terrifying childhood obesity epidemic right here in the U.S., The prestigious New England Journal of Medicine tracked thousands of kids through childhood and found the heaviest youngsters were more than twice as likely to die prematurely before age 55 of illness or a self-inflicted injury. The First Lady said she was inspired not only by her family and children's lifestyle, but also by some startling obesity statistics. Over the past four decades, obesity rates have soared among kids of all age groups, increasing nearly five-fold among those aged 6 to 11. And today it's estimated that 25 million kids are overweight or are obese. In fact, some health experts believe that if obesity continues to increase, our current generation of kids will become the first in American history to live shorter lives than their parents. And finally, now that I've scared you all to death... We get to our first guest of the evening. First Monday Forum examines childhood obesity from three different perspectives. Dr. Warren Willey will address the medical ramifications, Dr. Steve Lawyer the psychological implications, and Dr. Laura Velas will explain the nutritional side of things. And our first guest tonight is Dr. Warren Willey, medical director of a medical weight loss center and primary care office in southeastern Idaho. He uses a unique approach to patient care by offering preventative medical intervention by helping people to achieve optimal health and fitness through elite nutritional programs, diet strategies, and exercise programs. Oh, the word nobody wants to hear, exercise. He is a board-certified osteopathic physician, and he did his postgraduate training at the Mayo Clinic. He's a founding diplomat of the American Board of Holistic Medicine, and a diplomat with the American Board of Family Medicine, the American Board Urgent Care Medicine, and the American Board of Bariatric Medicine. Dr. Willie, a highly sought-after dynamic speaker and does healthy living and weight loss presentations around the country. As a matter of fact, our Rotary Club had the opportunity of hearing him do a presentation several months ago. He's an established author, having written a medical textbook, And What Does Your Doctor Look Like Naked? Your Guide to Optimum Health, released in 2003. The title of that book will give you an indication about its personality. Uh, This book has helped thousands of people lose weight and obtain and then maintain optimal health. Another of his books, Better Than Steroids, is sold internationally as it is the most concise summary of what you need to know to get that ultimate physique. He has one, by the way. Uh, He most recently released The Z 
Diet, The Secret to Long-Term Dietary Adherence. He also writes for a number of periodicals and websites. You will see occasionally a column of his in the Idaho State Journal. He has 25 years' experience with exercise development and nutritional intervention. And Dr. Willie, welcome to the program, finally. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Let's talk about, let's begin by defining what constitutes obesity. In the pediatric population, we use a different set of parameters. In the adults, we use BMI, which is body mass index, and that's a ratio of height to weight, basically. Um, People that are above 25 BMI with comorbidities, we consider overweight. Above 30 BMI, I'm talking adults now, Mm -hmm. are considered obese. In children, we use BMI growth charts. So we're actually getting a percentage based on age-matched comparisons. So in a child, if their BMI growth chart is between 85% and 95% of what's optimal, they are overweight. If they're greater than 95%, they're considered obese. So, as, as I mean, I am anything but svelte. And uh, I was not a slim child either. All of my grandmothers and mother's friends used to come up to me as I was a little boy and grab me by the cheek and, you know, pinch your cheek. Oh, isn't he a husky little guy? My dad was killed when he was 19 years old. I I never really knew him. And so I don't know what he would have grown to look like. Photos I've seen of him didn't indicate that he was obese or even overweight at all. My mom is not. But there seems to be a correlation between childhood obesity and family obesity. Is that true? That's very true. You know, the way I like to explain it to patients is we all have a genetic predisposition. My hair color is the same as my father's. My height is very similar to my mom and dad's. My eye color, my brains, or that lack thereof, that's all (laughs) passed down. Obesity is definitely more a genetic predisposition, not a genetic determinant. Now, I say that cautiously because there are some medical conditions that are passed down that do increase the rate of obesity. But in general, especially in children, obesity is a a lifestyle-related problem. So mom and dad might be overweight Usually because of their lifestyle, the child then develops the same lifestyle, be usually lack of movement and lots of calories, simple calories. That in and of itself, you could look at as a genetic thing because it's what's going on in the household. But truly coming down via the genes, there's some question there. We do know that children that are living in an obese home, if mom and dad are obese, the child has an 80% chance of being obese as an adult. As a matter of fact, um, if a 12-year-old has a BMI percentage greater than 95%, there's an 80% chance he will be, have a BMI greater than 30 as an adult. So there, there is something that comes down through the line, but you have to understand that there's a household genetic too. What's going on in the, in the home? What are they eating? What's their shopping schedule? What's their exercise schedule? How much do they move? Do they eat together as a family? All those things come together to develop this child that has a problem. You've kind of opened the door here. I, I'll venture that you have an opinion about kids with video games and computers and all the TV that they watch. Oh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, let me get my soapbox. Um, yes, we do not move enough. I really feel in, ch- in children, in adults, I can find some metabolic conditions, some environmental exposures, whatnot, that may attribute or contribute to obesity. In children, I really think it's an energy in to energy out issue. These children eat too much because it's readily accessible. It's high calorie, high sugar, high fat availability. It's easy. It sits on the shelf for thousands of years and only the cockroaches and nuclear war will get it. And then they don't move because we have video games. You know, the average child now uh, from six to nine years old, we call those the uh, 
or actually be nine to thirteen, the tweens sit and watch anywhere between six and seven hours of TV, video games a day, a day. Mark and I were talking before the show. What did you do when you got out of school? Well, I, my parents lived 10 minutes from the school, but it took us two hours to get home because we were messing around so much. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it was. We didn't have those things. And yes, we had TV, but the only time I remember TV on when I was growing up was Sunday night to watch Disney after church. That was it because it was you get out and move and exercise and whatnot. And it's just a very different world now. I remember the same thing. Very much the same thing. Grew up on a farm, come home, you were outside doing something or other. We had a basket on a, you know, on a dirt yard out in the backyard. We'd play hoops. I'd go out and hit rocks with my softball bat, ride my bike all over the farm, and not to mention the chores and the work that there always was to do. And today, I look at my grandkids who come to our house and either want to get on the computer or they sit there with their parents' iPhone or an iPad, and that's what they want to do. Unless we put the trampoline up out in the backyard, they don't want to go out. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Dr. Levine out of Mayo has shown that sitting is probably a independent risk factor for cardiac disease because when muscles don't move, your metabolism plummets. It drops out. Simple little movement. I put an article in the paper a couple weeks ago about simply tapping your foot while watching TV or whatnot. That actually will stimulate caloric burn. We just are a non-moving, sedentary society. And there are studies that show when you sit on your hiney without moving and you're active with your brain, i.e. video games, Facebook, email, you start to crave higher fat, higher sugar foods. And that goes for our children, too. We think because the brain utilizes sugar as a primary energy source, and when you're not moving, that's what turns that switch on. And so not only do you have the uh, going against you that you're sitting on your backside, but now you're using your brain for activity, and now you're craving more higher fat, higher sugar foods. So you got a double whammy with lack of movement. So Michelle Obama's plan to get the people moving is actually very nutritional as well. It's really what we need to do. We need to get these kids moving. Boy, it brings to mind a scary movie, Surrogates, Bruce Willis. I just, I mean, in terms of the conversation we're having, I can see that somewhere down the line, and it just scares me to death. Yeah, absolutely. What, what are some of the serious medical conditions that are related to childhood obesity? You know, we see every disease state in children. I'm talking four, five, six-year-old children that we do in adults when they're obese. And that's hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, gallbladder disease, liver disease, which I want to spend some time on. That's a, a passion of mine. Obviously, the cardiovascular disease. It's, it's stated that uh, a child with a, a growth percentage, uh, BMI percentage greater than 95, uh, or 85, in that overweight category, has a 60% chance of having one cardiovascular risk factor as a child. If it's greater than 95, they have two or more. The same risk factors I'm dealing in 50, 60, 70-year-old adults, I'm seeing in these children. Postmortem studies where we autopsy a child after a car wreck or an unfortunate event is showing 50, 60, 70, 80% occlusions of the primary coronary arteries in these kids. Because of the way they eat and don't move. Fat. Fat, yeah. It's unbelievable. So I can answer that and tell you every disease out there I see an adult, I see in a kid when there's a weight problem. Even arthritis? Even arthritis. Even arthritis. Little kids come in and we have a set of algorithms as a physician. Little boy, little girl comes in with hip pain. Well, here's the top five things it could be. Well, I've had to bump, oh, it's just you're overweight, up my differential diagnosis 
a lot in these last few years. Did you know here's an amazing biomechanical number? If you came to me and were a little overweight, for every pound I help you lose, that's four pounds of pressure off each knee. So when I help someone lose 10 pounds, I've taken 40 pounds of pressure off their knee. Of course these kids have arthritis. They're walking around with weights around their bellies. Wow. It's a scary thought. I had asthma when I was a kid. Um, uh, is that more prevalent too? Very prevalent. We, I diagnose asthma five times a week in kids that shouldn't have it otherwise. And I, I, there's a couple different theories on it. One of them simply just the lungs can't expand. There, there's stuff in the way. The diaphragm can't drop and pull the air in like it should. And these kids get short of breath, but there's also higher infection rate. They're, these kids are, a lot of times we'll see these kids very heavy, but very malnourished. So their total protein content's low and their immune systems are down. So we see them. I was telling Mark earlier before the show, I have six-year-old kids with charts that are two inches thick because they're ill all the time. So yes, it's, it's, it's depressing. It's amazing. It's scary. It's scary. That's a better word. And and much more prevalent than it used to be. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember 15 years ago not seeing it nearly to the point where we'd all kind of, you know, even in residency get together and say, hey, this kid's overweight. This is an interesting case study. And now we're going to have case studies on the thin kids because huh. it's becoming so rare. Our guest tonight, if you just tuned in, is uh, Dr. Warren Willey. We have two other guests coming up on the show this evening. Our topic is childhood obesity. You mentioned liver problems and that you wanted to talk more in detail. Do you want to go- I do, do if that I may, right now? Thank you very much, Jerry. The, the liver is the most metabolically active organ in your body. In other words, it burns more calories just sitting here than anything else. The three of us sitting in this room, our livers are what's burning the calories right now even though my poor brain's trying to catch up with you. Uh, and my mouth definitely is, because I'm pretty good at that. But So my master muscle's firing, but my liver's really firing right now. Liver disease in children, a, a doctor named Robert Luskig on the West Coast, and I can't remember if he's at UCLA or Stanford, you'll forgive me. He's a, a, a pediatric endocrinologist. And their group has done a number of studies looking at the way sugar is metabolized in the liver. And, and that's all forms of sugar. High fructose corn syrup, sugar, sugar, cane sugar, whatnot. And they found that it's very similar to the way alcohol is managed by the liver. Now, what I mean by that is if they're starting to biopsy these little kids' livers, putting them under microscopes and asking pathologists, is this a six-year-old boy or a 50-year-old alcoholic? And the pathologist is saying, oh, that looks like an alcoholic's liver there. Those are the type of changes we're seeing. And, and there's this chicken and the egg question in, in the metabolic world. Do the changes that cause obesity occur before there's fat? A lot of us feel there is, and we think the liver has a lot to do with this. So with the high sugar content of all these foods out there starting to destroy the liver, I mean, fatty liver disease and whatnot, we diagnose all the time. I see elevated liver enzymes in children all the time nowadays. And that's scary because we used to think just hepatitis and or alcoholism. Well, good Lord, I hope this little six-year-old has neither. So it's probably what they're eating. All right. So obviously the, the health costs of childhood obesity are, are just astronomical, not only in medical terms, but how about the costs of childhood obesity in other ways? Oh, it, it, because just like the example I used earlier, and I'm actually thinking of a six-year-old with a two-inch chart right now, her parents have to miss work all the time. So you have to, when we think of healthcare costs, we have to think of the cost of the actual disease, cost of time off from work, cost of parents' time off from work, cost to the employer, medication costs. If you look at all of that, we're into the hundreds of billions of dollars related to childhood obesity. It's unbelievable what this is doing to our country financially. 
and uh, sweet little obese children have a lot more illnesses. Like I just shared with you, we see them a lot more in the primary care setting, which just adds to those health costs. If they're if they're on any government support like Medicaid or whatnot, that's health costs that all of us are sharing. That really is a lifestyle related thing. It's not obviously if someone was in a motor vehicle accident and had to come see me once a week. Well, bless their hearts. Of course, we're all going to love them and take care of them. But when something there that we can prevent and really help, and it would help our health costs, help the country. It's something we need to intervene in. We need to step in and say, okay, how can we make a difference? Do you find yourself prescribing medications for obese children that you do for adults? I do my best not to. We have a comprehensive diet program, and, and the way that works is when I have an, I get a consult, I'm very fortunate, wonderful doctors in our town, absolutely wonderful, send a lot down to our office for obesity evaluations, including the little children. And the requirement is the entire family has to be there because treating childhood obesity as a physician is a family affair, not a child affair. So everyone has to be there. If uncle and grandma live in the house, they have to be there at the appointment. And we work with them as a family and work together to help this child understand it. And when they come together and do that, we get good success. So I always do that route before I prescribe drugs. There are protocols out there, uh, both by the American College of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Family Practice and whatnot, that says when these risk factors here, they are modifiable by drugs. So yes, these kids are getting prescribed drugs. There is a big movement in the bariatric world, which is a weight-related specialist, treating seven, eight-year-olds with uh, uh, speed, anoretic drugs, wow. fentramine, uh, a few of the other ones, just to help them lose weight because the risk of those drugs is so much less than that obesity. All right. You've talked about a family coming in all together. When do you recommend that parents or caregivers bring their kids into a doctor? I say if you have any concern or someone who loves you has a concern, it's hard because it's absolutely amazing. Both from a doctor's side, we read studies where doctors don't talk to their patients about it. We don't want to offend them. And that's so untrue because the studies show 80% of primary care patients want their doctor to talk to them about weight problems. And so I think on one side, all of us in the primary care field or all of us in the health field, anytime we see a child with a problem, mom and dad know. They want help. They don't know where to turn. Talk to them about it. Say, hey, go visit this doctor. Go see your primary care doctor. There's some things they can do for it. And the hard part is if everyone's obese in the family, the genetics do get the blame. They chalk it up. Oh, he's just, that's the way I am. That's the way his mother is. Don't worry about it. And, and the problem is the parents have the same lifestyle. They as have the, the same lifestyle. So all of them should come in as a group too. It gives us in our profession a great opportunity to treat the family because it is a family lifestyle change that needs to occur. All right. You've alluded to treating kids that are obese and treat the family as a group. How specifically do you do that? How do you manage the obesity among your patients? First of all, we talk about the implications we just talked about. Look at all the disease states. Look how much often you're going to be in here paying co-pays. Try to bring it home to them. This is, they care about that child. They don't want it to be sick or have a, you know, be, I'm sure the psychologists will later on today talk about the psychosocial ramifications. They, they understand that. They know that. They just don't know what to do about it. So our first treatment is let's change some simple things in your lifestyle. I don't put kids on diets. I don't put family on diets. I'll give them sample eating plans, but we work on them as a lifestyle. Let's plan three nights a week family to go for a 15-minute walk after dinner. Start eating 
dinner together. Turn off the boob tube. TV has to be off by 9 o'clock every night or 8 o'clock, whatever time it is. Just little things like that that make the difference. Do you get a lot of pushback? You know, we get some, but little tiny changes like that, most people are very excited about. Oh, you know, we should eat dinner more. I see mom turn to dad all the time, nudging him with an elbow, saying, we should eat dinner more. We got to turn off that darn TV. Because people sit and eat in front of the boob tube, they eat twice as much as they think, or they need to, because they're not thinking about it. Yeah, we have a TV adjacent to our kitchen. Yeah. Right there. Everyone does. I, I don't know a family that doesn't. So yeah, just simple little things like that. Going for a walk. Make, putting a chart up and checking off and having an inner house contest for walking miles. Get the whole family pedometers and every night come home and see who walked the most that day. And don't use candy for a reward. And don't use candy for a reward. Yeah, talk about the reward-based systems too. And, you know, just availability of food. It's a simple thing. You tell mom, mom, don't have the Twinkies and the cookies and the crackers sitting on the shelf. Remove those. Get the fruit. Get the vegetables. Get the lean dairy, like some cheese or yogurt for the kids. They'll love it. They eat the other because it's there. Well, the kickback then is, well, it's easier. And then we come back to, well, this is a choice again. It's not easier. Really, you can. We try to really teach people and show them on a cost chart that eating healthy is more expensive. But then we compare the cost of all their medical charges and whatnot and show them. Yes, a box of Nabisco crackers is cheaper than a box of yogurt. However, let me show you what happens long term. And that's what starts the changes. And really, Jerry, it's those little things, those little steps that really make the biggest difference. You've mentioned a couple of times financial costs, but it just has to be a a tremendous amount of money spent nationwide. And let alone, I, I, I guess parents probably are just unaware of how much money they will actually spend if they let their kids reach that state. Oh, yeah. Assuming that parents believe they can help control that. Yeah. Do you you find parents that are deniers? How often do you Yes, quite often, actually. Quite often. The nice thing is by the time they get to me in my office, they've already accepted it. It's a lot easier than if I was walking down the street or if I was a school teacher, bless their hearts, because I know a lot of just wonderful teachers that really try to intervene with the sweet children. By the time they've come to me, they've made a realization that, hey, we need to do something. So honestly, it's a little easier by the time they get to my office. The step has to come before that. When can we realize what we're spending? When can we realize what we're doing to our children and what it's going to cost them in the future? I think the the psychosocial ramifications that we're going to get into later in the show are just very important because that's really what grabs mom. It, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. I can tell you your, your three-year-old boy is going to have a heart attack when he's 35. That doesn't hit them the same as saying your three-year-old boy is going to be teased at school. There's something about that. And that's, I, I'm obviously not using that to my advantage. I'm trying to get her to understand this is how we need, we need to intervene on this. So the financial aspect I think is for some reason, adults dissociate that with the children. They associate it more with themselves. So helping them relate that. When your child's sick, you have to pay for daycare or you miss work. Right. That costs you money. And you just see light bulbs go off. Any final thoughts that you want to throw out before we wrap up your segment of tonight's show? You know, I think it's, an, it's a very, very difficult problem for all of us to confront. But really, the, the intervention should be simple. Get out and move more. Do more things as a family. I think the family unit, as that falls apart, really is part of the big problem because kids are babysit by the boob tube, by their Xbox, and they eat the quick foods that mom leaves in the cupboard because they're out running around. I think getting the family back as a unit, eating dinner every night, playing games together, planning walks, on, uh, uh, and then plan. The, one of the neat tricks, too, and I'm just throwing this out as the last thing, when you guys, when a family group learns how to do that, 
they should reward themselves with a food-based thing as a family at the end of the week. Friday night's pizza night, guys. We're going to stick it out all week. We're going to eat together. We're going to not watch TV after 7, 8 o'clock at night. We're going to go for walks three nights a week. And if we do it, we're going for pizza Friday night. That's, that's all right. I tell people all the time, there's no such thing as a bad food. There's just bad diets. So let's work together as a family. Work on it individually, but all of us as a society support each other and make the simple interventions, not the big expensive. It's it's an impossible task that actually takes simple little steps to, to fix. Dr. Warren Willey, it has been just, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's been a, a delightful conversation with you. Scary, yes, but very informative. And we thank you so much for being on First Monday Forum thank with us. Thank you very much. And hopefully we'll be able to have you back I in the future. I would love to. I love hearing myself talk. So thank you. <laughs> Dr. Warren Willey, our first guest tonight, our topic, childhood obesity. Next up, the psychological implications of that problem. Dr. Steve Lawyer is our next guest coming up in just a moment on First Monday Forum. Oh. 